ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, November 2nd, 2019 is the 34th anniversary of the Dimensional Incursion event. Watch out for Squid. Today's show is sponsored by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Head over to Cufflinks.com and use our code DVR20 to save 20% off your order. No minimum. That's right, 20% off NFL, NBA, DC, Marvel. Man, they've got just about everything. If you're a geek, go over and geek out at Cufflinks.com and elevate your look when you step out in the morning. Get something awesome. And if you have an event coming up, reach out, check out their blog. They'll help you get it all together. Take the stress off yourself. Go to Cufflinks.com today. Welcome back to Daily DVR Does Watchmen. My name is Axel, and my co-host today and throughout the season is Roberto Suarez. Hello, Roberto. Hello. <laughs> Good to have you again, partner. Thank today, you. Happy Halloween. Yeah, happy Halloween, man. Went out with the kid today. I didn't see anybody dressed as Rorschach, so I felt good. <laughs> Maybe adults are okay. I don't know that I would want to see a little kid dressed like Rorschach. <laughs> There's always that dude who gets There's his always, kid, right? you know? Always that dude who's got to make his point through the kid, but I didn't see it this year. But uh, today we are going to be talking about Watchmen Season 1, Episode 2, Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship, written by our showrunner and series creator Damon Lindelof, and also by Carlton Cuse's son, Nick Hughes. Uh The episode was directed again by Nicole Castle. Thanks to all those that sent in feedback. And if you want to send in your feedback, you can hit us up at dvrpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, Aaron is going to be back with me next Wednesday. And this Sunday, I am going to be recording an initial reaction for episode three with Roger from Shad on TV. So go check out shadontv.com. Find out more about those guys. They're great. They cover Westworld and a bunch of other shows. I'm looking forward to that. Also, take a look at the show notes. Just scroll down, give us a review, give us a review. We appreciate those Apple podcast reviews. And also I'm going to put some helpful links in the show notes. Go to dvrpodcast.com so you can find out about our other podcast, like Podcast Winterfell, Westworld Theorycast, Veronica Mars, and Mindhunter. And also find out about Roberto's other podcasts too, Radio Westworld and a pod of casts that are still continuing. And speaking of Roberto, let's let him talk a little bit. How you doing, pal? Yeah, it's still <laughs> continuing. Uh, for a moment there, I thought we we're not going to have any more uh, pod of casts because of the recent news this week of uh, of the uh, uh, show, the the early uh, Dawn of Heroes or Age of Heroes show yeah, uh, of Game of Thrones getting killed. canceled. But then yeah. within hours of that announcement, we heard that a new Game of Thrones <laughs> spinoff <laughs> actually got a full series order. Uh, oh, uh, man. H- House of the Dragon or yeah. something like that. I can't yep. remember the, the, the name of it now. but um, So, yeah. So, I'm excited to know that in the near future, we will have more Game of Thrones to, to talk about yeah, uh, in too. our future respective podcasts. That was funny, too, because in those, like, two hours, there were, like, 50 articles that came out, like, HBO is done with Game of Thrones because season eight was so bad. And yeah. Then, and then the new well, one. Well, and then Benioff and Weiss got kicked yeah. out of uh, Star Wars yeah. or left Star Wars or who, however, whoever you listen to out there does a different interpretation of who, what, or how did it happen. Um, so now, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a bit of Game of Thrones drama for the last couple of days. Yeah, that's, yeah, it is. And you know what, actually, um, Kim Renfro, who writes about, um, uh, 
Game of Thrones as well as Westworld that she writes for Insider.com is going to come on podcast Winterfell next week. We're going to talk all about that stuff. Fantastic. Because, that's yeah, great. That's some interesting. Yeah, actually, you were on the last podcast, Winterfell, where we kind of talked about fan reaction to that's season right. eight. Yeah, yep. that was great. Yep. That was great. But uh, all right, let's get into some Watchmen, though. Enough of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll, we'll jump in Watchmen. first with some news, right? Yes, we've got some news. Um, there was some really interesting stuff that dropped on the PDpedia, which is, of course, like kind of the uh, extra content that HBO is putting up. And there were three new articles, one which was kind of about Judd dying. Um, and went through kind of his life and gives you a little bit of tidbits about him and his background. Um, there was another one that went into the kind of show the, not only the show that they're airing, right, about the Minutemen and Hooded Justice. The American Hero Story. Yeah, American Hero Story, but also just generally other cultural of things that are happening surrounding masked vigilantes. Mm -hmm. And this is actually written on like September 2nd, 2019. And it kind of, it gives you a good kind of idea of what's happening even outside of Tulsa. So I think that this stuff is some is some pretty fun stuff to take a look at. Um, yeah. And there's another one that goes into uh, refordations or the reparations and how those came about uh, specifically in Tulsa. So it's really, they're adding some interesting stuff here. And normally I get a little spoiler phobic, like, oh, but yeah. I think that this is really actually good world building. So I'm, I'm enjoying building. it. Right. It's, it's kind of creating that universe around the context of the show. And it's, to me, it's a smart way of expanding beyond what you can do with the nine hours of content that you have on the TV show. Right. So yeah. it kind of helps you, uh, uh, create, uh, more of a sense of, of reality around what we're seeing in the show. Cause all you get is these, you know, condensed nine hours so it just gives you an opportunity to kind of delve a little bit deeper into some of those aspects that you can't go into as much detail on the week-to-week -week episode because you got to move the story forward yes and it also it just it makes you yeah it just makes you kind of feel more even when uh when i was re-watching i'd read some of this in re-watching and it just kind of i felt like the world was a little more filled in mm -hmm. um so i would suggest if you're taking the opportunity to, you know looking out and listening to the podcast Go click on the link on the bottom. I'll put a link into it. Yeah. Uh, that's some good stuff. There was another article that I'm going to put there um, from Slate talking about the flyer that we see starting out falling down from the Germans um, that uh, we see our uh, protagonist pick up while he's walking along. Right. And they go into the actual wording of it, how it's taken from an actual flyer and some other propaganda of the time. And again, two episodes in a row, starting out with that real stuff and getting people interested in what happened before and who these regiments were. Yeah, um, is some really interesting stuff. And actually, we got a little email about that as well. That's right. Um, and actually, the person who sent in that email, James, sent me this article about Tom Misson, who is the actor who plays our butler. And he just wanted everyone to know that that is not actually his penis that's in the show. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> Very important. Very so, important to know. <laughs> so you want, so, there's oh, you know, people are always wondering, right? Like when something like that happens, they're always like, "Is that a stunt?" You know, you want to know, and so now you can read the article and find, and also it gives a little bit about him too, which is cool. Yeah, um, interesting context about his, how he got the role yeah. and uh, how he discussed uh, getting into the role with Damon Lindelof. There's some interesting stuff there. Yes, I like it. So thank you, James. Now, I also wanted to point out on one of the Facebook pages, I'm a part of like every Watchmen Facebook page. And if you've heard about the show from there, thanks for tuning in. We actually, I think we have some fans from Brazil that said they're going to listen to that because I'm a fan, I'm in a Facebook, uh, a Brazil Watchmen uh, page. And I found this uh, website called 25 Years Later. And it's called uh, Theories and Analysis, which is what I call the show on uh, Wednesday. And this guy does a really good job of just kind of breaking it down, what people are thinking. It's, mm-hmm. It doesn't try to be too clever. And I was impressed. And I was actually, I might reach out to uh, this guy. His name is uh, Brian mm-hmm. and uh, see if he wants to come on an initial reaction or something, because I thought that it gave a really good breakdown. And also, he seemed to be along the same lines that we were on. Uh, so check it out, people. That's all I yeah, got for I, the news. Yeah, yeah, I appreciated that he did a good job aggregating a lot yeah. of the stuff that's out there and condensing it in a way that you don't have to be looking in a thousand places to get all that information. So. Yes, and I did like that it didn't have like a 10-paragraph clever intro and jokes. And every, people try to be so clever these days. Sometimes I just want to have get like bullet points. Right. <laughs> Find that's out right. What's happening in the world? So we're going to go ahead and do our deep dive, and uh, we're changing things up a little bit from last week. I think we, we uh, in, in the excitement and, and uh, uh, upper, finally getting the opportunity to do this podcast together, we uh, neglected to think about our poor listeners having to sit through two hours, <laughs> almost two hours of content of us uh, waxing poetic yeah. about Watchmen. So we've condensed things a little bit better, I think, this time around, so we can give you a, a more concentrated dose of the deep dive also. Um, it's interesting, you know, you start diving deep into some of these things and then before you know it, you find that you're not the only one, uh, learning about these things. So some of this stuff may already be things that people have thought about, but it's all as part of this kind of process of, of, uh, enjoying speculating about what's going on in this show and in this world. Definitely. Um, and also, lastly, I, I am getting uh, up early tomorrow morning to fly out to San Francisco, so I, I don't want to be staying up too late so that I can get a good night's rest. San uh, Fran. That's, San Fran. Wow. Going to go uh, going to a conference and going to visit my daughter in college, which is kind of crazy to think about. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, so we're going to kind of – I'm just kind of – going to frame the picture into different sections that were kind of the critical elements of the show. And I, like you mentioned earlier already, uh, Axel, with World War One being kind of our historical uh, uh, frame or our, our historical anchor at the beginning of the episode. In episode one, it was the Tulsa riots. In episode two, it was this moment in World War One where German flyers are being dropped among the African-American U.S. troops in order to sow dissent among them. And these flyers are basically propaganda uh, from the Germans, uh, letting, you know, making African-Americans question their loyalty because why are they fighting for a nation that does not consider them equals? Um, so these, these, uh, the, the writing of these flyers, and it's interesting in the article that you shared earlier that kind of goes about over some of the text that appeared in some of the 
real flyers that were dropped down mm-hmm. during this time. Um, the kind of, of information that was being shared uh, about, you know, hey, if you if you uh, if you stop what you're doing now and you join us, we will treat you like equals here in Germany. Uh, there are many many people of color have opportunities that you would never have in the United States, and so it start, it starts to feed into, you know, we were talking last week about the speculation of who hooded justice is and could uh, one of the one of the original um, uh, ideas or the the original uh, suspicion that uh, that uh, night the, the night owl one had about who Huda justice was was that it was this guy Rolf Mueller who was a Nazi sympathizer or some kind of German mm-hmm. sympathizer and so this makes you think well could, could the mind of a young boy reading this literature have somehow been influenced by these thoughts maybe not necessarily a sympathizer but maybe it 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 made him think you know about yeah what is the point of fighting for a country that that uh does not appreciate or treat me as an equal yeah uh, we, we see those scenes of him finding that note and we know that will has has pretty much spent his entire life holding on to these piece of paper so could him in his young mind have somehow twisted that message in a way that he could sympathize with what what was being said without necessarily being a nazi sympath uh, sympathizer per se it is so interesting too that we have the first two episodes starting off at, with two sides of this piece of paper, mm-hmm. right? And and yes. in a sense, you know, it's it's like this written, almost like comic book, old paper. It it call it makes me think of that. It makes me think of something like two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. two journeys that people choose, like paths that they go down. So that was so interesting. And I also like the way that they started off with seeing all like the German women typing and the man comes in who speaks English, you know, and because so much of what we're dealing with here is like written history and how things happen and institutions. Mm -hmm. So showing that you'd think you could have just started the show with them marching down and the leaflets drop. And that would have been a pretty good start to a show. Right. Pretty interesting. But they went, they put that first part in there and there's a reason for it. And I think that it is that reason to bring those ideas to us. I think this episode is, and and we'll go over this uh, also with some other points that I will bring up, but I think this episode is telling us that the moment you start writing about history, you start to influence Ah. the perception of history. So I I, I think that's kind of where this is going. You know, we also get, you know, uh, the the woman is typing in a typewriter, which I'm pretty sure is the same model as the one that the uh, uh, man in the estate, the supposed Ozymandias, is typing his play in, right? And he's typing his own version of a history too, right? Of, mm. of the of the uh, John Osterman story of the of the origin the watchmaker's of Dr. son. Manhattan. Um, and her name happens to be Fräulein Mueller, which maybe there's a coincidence there with Rolf Mueller. Uh, perhaps there's a connection, perhaps not. It's just a way to kind of put a, a little Easter egg there of some kind. That's um, interesting. I didn't know that. And then the other piece, too, is I see the the flyers falling from above 
And I compare that to, in episode one, the squid's rain falling from above. Mm. Are these both things a type of propaganda, a type to manipulate other people? Uh, you know, we have we had an episode one, the reign of squid, and later on in this episode two, we hear of uh, we have a, a a callback to the original graphic novel with the newsstand, where the folks are discussing that this squid rain may just be some kind of political distraction to uh, you know take us away from paying attention to what the real problems are out there, uh, and then we have a very similar image of the flyers falling on the people's. So are we seeing we're seeing kind of some interesting parallels about a, a, uh, a, a those in power using propaganda and literally raining it from above, whether it's through flyers or through potentially a a, a continued uh, a conspiracy through this uh, reign of squids uh, to continue to suppress information or influence the masses with it. I love that. Uh, the type of political message that uh, people are supposed to be thinking of. Per, I, I, that, that, that is what that is. You just yeah. explained it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so then let's uh, shifting to Angela, because Angela is kind of the, the main character that we're following in the story. And so the, the densest part of the episode really deals with her. Uh, we, uh, so I find it interesting that you know, Angela had left Judd's body hanging and it, you know, it gets reported to her that he's been found dead. So even though she knew this ahead of time, she kind of fakes yeah. uh, learning about it, uh, pretending to learn about it for the first time over the phone when she gets the call from, um, you know, uh, uh, from the police. That and- took me. That that was something, Roberto. That took me this kind of rewatch and talking mm-hmm. to Aaron a bit too to pick up on the way that she was. She Why she did the DNA. Pride, right? Yeah. She, yeah. She is hiding. And then we mm-hmm. see the conversation um, that she has in the car where – Yes. Where yeah. there's there's tension there between yep. them and mistrust. Mm-hmm. So how far does that go back? Who was – did Judd have favorites? Was there – were there different we, – we're still so early into this yep. that I like the way they just roll through that. She, we don't get a scene where she goes and talks to someone and says, well, I got to keep this secret. You never know mm-hmm. what's going on. She yeah. just acts that way. Why didn't she report it to – why wasn't she the one who reported it to the police? Like there's no reason for her to not have done that as far as we know unless she knows something or she is concerned about about her connection with Will in some way. Uh, you know, because eventually she does decide that she wants to turn Will in to the police. But up until that point, she was kind of keeping that secret and separate and had, had to kind of fake her way yeah. through learning about Judd's death. So, yeah, I found that interesting that she she had something to hide at that moment and that you could definitely notice some tension between her and looking glass. Um so uh, what's interesting is that in the moment that she is assisting in helping bring Judd's body down, she then has a memory of that event that we heard about the White Knight, which is when the uh, the Rorschach Seventh uh, Cavalry uh, folks wearing the Rorschach masks uh, went out and hunted down a bunch of policemen, which th- led then to the. Uh, uh, the police being authorized to wear masks um, and to, you know, th- through 
through the process of kind of thinking about what happened there, we begin to wonder if Judd was somehow involved in the White Knight. What did you think? Did you, the way Aaron and I spoke about this, Mm -hmm. the way that, the way this whole flashback is set up, um, it does kind of, I think they're trying to lead you down the road where the guy's just about to shoot her. We cut, she wakes up in the hospital, Judd's there. Right. He immediately gains her deep trust trust. Mm -hmm. because of this. And yeah. they share that. Uh, we also mm-hmm. find out about the name of her son is her partner's kid. She's adopted them. That's an interesting little tidbit. Right. So, so much happened there that her whole life, when we entered it last episode, that was from that night. Right. You know, those, those mm-hmm. partnerships, that, that kind of family that she had with Judd and his wife. Did yeah. you get that feeling too, that they're trying to... I mean, they're, I think they're being a little blatant about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I would go as far as some of the theories saying that Judd was the shooter who, yeah, who didn't shoot. So. But but I would def, it, it definitely looks like they're trying to play some kind of a link there that Judd was behind the setup at the very least. Um, and there's also a lot of important details of what happened here because, like you said, from the outcome of this event, she ends up adopting the children of her partner. Uh, which we learn a little bit more later on. That's uh, that's uh, you know where the where the children came from. They're not her biological children, but we had all these details during the time when she is celebrating uh, Christmas Eve with her husband, where she he, he wants to peek into a gift, and she keeps <laughs> saying that he can't look in there. Could potentially the gift be that she was going to reveal that she was pregnant? <sighs> Ah, and the fact that she was shot at that moment, she gets shot right in the belly. Maybe that impeded her from ever having kids. And so does that play into her um, taking on the children from her partner? That's another kind of interesting aspect there that I thought was uh, was worth uh, considering, at least. I think that you are spot on, my friend. Mm-hmm. Spot on. I and wouldn't I- be surprised if that big box, he opens it up and inside was maybe like an ultrasound picture or something. You know, like I'm so wondering if that was kind of the idea behind something yeah. like that. And it also is a little reminiscent of the whole, the J.J. Abram TED Talk about, you know, this, the box. The mystery box. The mystery box, yeah. right? <laughs> so yeah. I think that was kind of, they must have known that in the writer's room they were doing that. Uh, but yeah, I think totally, because also the way, even in the first episode when she says she got shot and the way she touched herself, mm-hmm. where she got is where a woman usually is. I was pregnant or, right. and even there seemed a solemnness to it mm-hmm. that extended mm-hmm. past that night and the, the repercussions and what it meant, but was per, so personal. Um, yeah. Aaron and I noticed something and I wanted to ask you, do you notice the way she just pushes her husband away and we never see him again? Yeah, I mean, there's a. I think they're making some real clear statements about how she. I mean, th- this is a future in which a lot of roles have kind of swapped, right? Yeah. The, the she's definitely the uh, m- primary breadwinner of the house, and he is the kind of the stay-at-home father. Um, so she was the one who ended up protecting him in that time of of trauma. Um, similarly, we see, you know, a world in which. Uh, white children are being adopted by black families, which is very interesting that, you know, when you think about 
them as the uh, uh, she being the partner of the police officer who died and these were his children that in in some kind of system in whatever legal system exists in this world she was granted custody of these kids over the kids own kin over the kids grandfather yeah um, which again speaks to kind of this social structure being flipped on its head. You know, we know uh, from our current uh, in, in, in current day how many children who are from minority backgrounds end up being adopted by Caucasian families when they are not able to conceive, and that in many ways they are you know helping those children have a better life. But at the same time, it's a factor of our uh, of economic disparity, right? Yes, families definitely. that aren't able to raise their children and have to put their children up for adoption or come from systems where the parents are simply not available. And so they uh, become available for adoption by families who can provide for these children. And here we have a system in which the, uh, you know, th there's resentment from the part, especially of the white male as is, as presented in the show. And then to add insult to injury, the, the own grandfather of these children apparently isn't considered uh, uh, adequate enough to provide a safe upbringing for his own grandchildren that they would favor the partner uh, of the of of, of her of, of his son or daughter, whoever the partner was, to be uh, the one to raise the children. And I so wonder, then you can see how kind of that resentment is built yeah. has built as part of the whole redfordations and and all of that other stuff. And I wonder if the grandfather will become a factor in the show. It was that that gives us some background to Angela mm -hmm. that that kind of fills out that story for us. Yeah, But also because of what seemed to be his inclinations, which he seems to be not – he seems to be more on the side of the Calvary. Yeah. Um, did he have something to do with what's going on? Is he a factor yeah. in what's mm -hmm. happening? Uh, yeah, that's something know that, to consider for our yeah, mystery. Something to consider, but I mean, he definitely seems like somebody who would be sympathizing at least at some political ways. Maybe yeah. he wouldn't be a full-on Seventh Cavalry member, but he might he might be one of the folks protesting outside of the uh, rep, uh, outside of the the uh, reparation center there, where Angela went to get the testing done to see uh, if Will who, who Will who a Will was. Um, so maybe maybe there's definitely some. Some degree of that kind of a sentiment expressed yes. by the grandfather. That was a great. That was great too. That that whole scene when she goes and that ties into her hiding will and kind of checking in on him and yeah. him wanting to be there, staying there, escaping from the handcuffs, but still right. Yeah, still still wanting to be there with. Eventually, we find out his granddaughter. Yeah. Um that that was really interesting that whole scene. Did you think that that was Will's father that you saw a kind of holographic image that she walks past and we hear a voice speaking but it looked it looked mm -hmm. a lot like him. I didn't think about that. That's I looked on the second yeah. I again and I it looked the same to me. It really looked like him. Mm. I can't confirm it a hundred percent. Interesting. But it did look like him. And I mean what it made me think about was what you were saying about whether Angela could potentially be the second manifestation of a superhero mm. with uh superpowers. 
um, because, you know, of, of the people that we have met in the world of Watchmen so far, Dr. Manhattan is the only person to have demonstrated any kind of superpower ability. Now we have Will demonstrating at least some uh, high level of tolerance to heat, mm -hmm. uh, whether it is because he's able to chug coffee down like it was cold water or stick his hand in a in a uh, in a you know uh, a boiling water to grab an egg without issue um this is not just pain tolerance but his his skin doesn't seem to be affected in any major way um uh, so if that's the case could he have some kind of uh, uh of, of superhuman ability and could that have somehow been passed on to angela and go going back to your point of could angela have been the baby uh could but i mean It seems kind of awkward. It it wouldn't gel uh, from a from a genealogic point of view that he would she would be the granddaughter of this of this child, <laughs> you know, the contemporary or you know close enough. Right. Um, but still, maybe there is some connection there with some kind of ability that Angela may have inherited from her grandfather, or time travel, or, maybe or time you travel. know yeah, something. And, and and Will keeps playing with you know he he mentions multiple times that Doctor Manhattan can look like anybody, can be anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, could he be a manifestation of Doctor Manhattan in some way? I mean, who knows? There's lots of interesting things there. And then there's also the connections. He mentions having friends in high places. This uh, magnet comes out of nowhere and steals the minivan with him inside when Angela is trying to get, take him uh, away to be, uh, to you know, finally turn him into the police. And uh, my, in, my initial thought here is there, I think they're dropping a lot of hints about Night Owl 2 being somewhere in the mix here. Uh, because uh, last week we saw, I mean, last week, the episode one, we saw the, the, the owl ship being used by the police. This week we get uh, Angela using goggles that are very reminiscent of the goggles yep. that Night Owl 2 uses in the comic books. And then we have what appears to me to be like a, whatever the latest iteration of the owl ship is uh, with this super magnet picking up the, the car at the end of the episode and taking Will away. And we know that uh, Night Owl 2 had a strong affinity for Night Owl, Night Owl 1, who was a member of the original Minutemen and who, you know, he, uh, the Night Owl 2 had a uh, kind of a, a, I think, a nostalgia and an interest in the history of heroes. So maybe he'd be somebody who would have sought out somebody like Will if he potentially was a hero from the past and built a connection with him. So Yeah, that's interesting. I was yeah. thinking about that too, along the lines of um, he, uh, uh, of why he seemed to w so badly want to be there and connect with his granddaughter. Mm -hmm. And it seemed though, when he was taken like that, that's not exactly voluntary, right. <laughs> you know? So... Did he, I kind of was feeling like he, he escaped. He wasn't supposed to talk to her. It just seems like one of those situations um, where maybe he's at odds with, with maybe it's Night Owl too, right? Maybe it's maybe, Silk Spectre yeah. too, right? We don't, that, that 
they're like, no, don't talk to her yet. And he's like, no, I have to. It's my granddaughter. Right. And he's giving – because he's talking in rhymes. It was, well, the whole thing is interesting. That, he also says that the pills that he was taking help him with his memory. Yes. So maybe that medication has something to do with it. So maybe maybe he's not even aware 100% of what he's doing because if this medication helps control that, I thought – you know, maybe that has something to to come into play. But with Silk Spectre coming up, we thought we were going to see her this episode, but she's coming up apparently next episode. I wouldn't be surprised if Night Owl uh, 2 is coming up uh, as well in some way, shape or form and that he may be involved uh, with this uh, uh, getaway that Will made here. I hope I hope so, because I think that we want those characters to be further involved with yeah. what's going on. And if we're seeing um, Ozymandias, who we think it is, Jeremy Irons, yeah. then what have they been up to? We get we get some ideas from if you yeah. read on the PDPedia, which I don't want to give away too much of that. That's for people to read because we might find out some of that pretty soon. Sure. Um, but I love that idea of kind of getting the crew back together. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now with a new generation and maybe perhaps will a guy who should have been part like writing a past wrong right. in a sense, you know, protecting him. Um, and why does he have the friends in high places? It really, the whole thing was yeah. super interesting to me. Yeah. A couple of other important things. When Angela does go to the wake uh, for Judd, um, we see that, Senator Keene is there. Mm -hmm. uh, so we know that already there's a connection there between the Keene family and Judd's family. Um, uh, now, if we think of Keene as being kind of what appears to be a, a, a potential opponent to President Redford, you know, is there a connection there? Could Judd be a sympathizer with Keene's uh, ideology and philosophy? We don't know. Yeah, and maybe um, it ties into more than just Tulsa. That's what excited me about that. Yeah. It's like when he caught when he had when Judd had the conversation with the governor, because yeah. so much we're finding out things about the world, but right. we're just seeing what's happening in Tulsa. So right. I want to know what's happening in the rest of the country, and and if mm -hmm. Keen's showing up there, and there's a connection there, then it. It begs the question we try to answer, of course, is why this whole thing is set in Tulsa. Yeah. Why is this the center of what's happening? And now as more people with power gravitate to it, we're going to find out more about it. So that little pop up and also that actor, James Wolk, is great. He was great on Mad Men. Mm -hmm. I love that dude. He was on that crazy show Zoo on CBS. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's good casting. Taking a little break to remind you to go to our presenting sponsor, CuffLinks.com. Now, if you're new to the show, you're listening to us talk about Watchmen, you might not have heard of CuffLinks.com through us yet. Go to CuffLinks.com slash DVR so they know you we sent you, and you can check out all their awesome items. Sometimes I just like to go over and peruse the fantastic wearable art at CuffLinks.com. They've got ties, belts, cufflinks, of course, tie clips socks everything you need to look good now they have all the geeky stuff but they also have all the greatest brands go to cufflinks.com slash dvr today one of the best parts about podcasting is getting to know the listeners and making new friends and one of those friends is andy you may have heard me mention him before on one of our many podcasts and andy and his wife claire are looking to adopt 
So if you or anybody you know is considering adoption for their baby, please consider the loving family of Andrew and Claire. They're a home study approved adoptive family of three living on a farm in southern Minnesota with a dog, Barney, and two turtles. They're able to adopt from anywhere in the United States and would love to answer any questions you may have. To learn more about them, check out their Facebook page at Andrew and Claire Adopt or on Instagram at Andrew underscore and underscore Claire underscore adopt. You can also email them at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. So again, if you or anyone you know is considering adoption for their baby, reach out at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. Thanks. Then we have a scene, again, another callback to the original book when Angela finds the Klux Klux Klan's robes in Judd's closet. Uh, mm-hmm. is a scene very reminiscent of a scene in which Warshak finds the comedian's gear in his closet. When, and, and it's after the comedian has been killed. So we have kind of a parallel there where investigating you know, leads to discovering some uh you know stuff about their uh their uh, uh, their uh past. Clan- clandestine yeah. activities or or their past uh that is tra- uh, in tra- you know trapped there uh hidden in uh in the literally hidden in the the in the closet of these characters trapped in the closet as trapped they in say. the closet or um, skeleton is in the closet right <laughs> now which this is, is the clue that will had kind of given angela yeah, as well yep and this um, is interesting too because we had talked last episode i think you brought up that some people were uh, were drawing allusions from comedian to judd yeah and if we kind of extrapolate that and we see that what we come to find is that the comedian had great guilt of what he did. Right. And there it was a little more nuanced Mm -hmm. in the same way. It appears to me, we also talked that that robe, those robes might be in fact, Will's father's because remember the picture that there Uh was of him. And then they caught, they do this long right before she opens the closet, they go to the picture and then they go. Yeah. So not Will's father, but Judd's father. Oh, I'm sorry. Judd's father. I apologize. Yes. So grandfather. Yeah. Whoever it was, they make the point to point to focus on that picture. Right. Yeah. Could be his grandfather. You're right. And so it's like what the, in that same respect, so much of this story is about the past Mm -hmm. histories and what was Will up to now? Because Still, I go back to that weird TikTok he did yeah. and the way he acted and the dressing so slowly. And it's just, it's suspicious to me. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he just got a call, went out, was captured. Right. Um, right. So. Yeah, he may have been he may have been responding to what he thought was something to do with the 7th Cavalry and his involvement in it. It might have been a trap, but, it, you know, set up from the point of view of him wanting, trying to connect with these sympathizers as opposed to him trying to go out and stop them. Um, the uh, other piece too, is that in this uh, scene is where we come up with the painting about Coman- uh, Comanche feats of, of horsemanship. And uh, here's when, when I'm t- another reference here that perhaps uh, this is telling us a little bit about how history gets, gets transformed through the the recounting or the retelling of history because the name of the episode is uh comanche feats of martial horse what, what comanche 
The Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship is the name of the episode. Yet the name of the painting is actually Comanche Feats of Horsemanship. So I don't think it's, I, I would think that it's somewhat deliberate that the title of the episode is not quite the title of the painting, but just kind of like a version of it, an adaptation of it, if you will. And so could it be that this is another way of the creators or the writers telling us you can't always trust the written history? There's always going to be some type of alteration uh, once somebody with a certain point of view starts to write the history of what happened in the past or or, or, the, to- or the stories that we share with one another. And so the, we, we focus on that painting. But the name of the painting doesn't quite gel with the name of the episode. Mm. I thought I think that's an interesting hint that they're giving us there. And isn't uh, Marshall means uh, uh, combat? Like military is what, right? what I was yeah. assuming, right? Like martial law, right? So, so to change that in a sense, mm-hmm. right? If the original, if what the title is, is like military stuff, it's mm-hmm. like how they fight, right? right. It's, it's kind of framing it. In a framing it as way. a military tactic and less about the Comanche, right? So yeah. maybe even kind of taking away a little bit of the relevance of the Comanche and more about adding intent because it's just feats of horsemanship is mm-hmm. is the painting, right? Like, oh, right. look, wonderful, their feats of horsemanship. Mm-hmm. But then, and, and what it refers to is that the Comanche had the the, the painter who 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 made the painting. He was noticing how uh, remarkable it was that the Comanche used these tactics of hiding. Be, uh, they would they would uh, uh, slide towards the side of a horse to avoid being hit, you know, uh, by, to avoid uh, being hurt by whoever was attacking them. So they were protected basically by their same horse, and then they could come up again and do the attack when they had the advantage again. So it was something that they had never witnessed in you know their own Eurocentric way of operating with horses, and so they were. It was it was a way to kind of celebrate and honor the uh the the um uh wits and the 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 how smart these uh comanche warriors were in using their horses in combat um so that that's kind of what the the purpose of the painting was and so once again we we have this discrepancy with the title maybe telling us a little bit about things things don't quite line up when we re- when we rewrite history or when we write history we start to influence the history and may change some of the facts and may change some of the perspectives that come that that are retelling that mm-hmm. tale that the perspective of the person who retells the tale influences the tale in a way definitely um, it we it also gives us a sense of why would Judd have that painting there did he admire that painting was it a re- or was it some kind of a of a, a, a of a of a way to remember things that were yeah who was uh, hiding was he a double agent was he exactly why would he have the mask was he an admirer was he an admirer of it or was he maybe like a reminder to him of what was lost uh in the past it was just kind of interesting uh to have that uh that be there so um so yeah so i thought i I don't (laughs) think you 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 deliberately change the title of that uh and i don't think it's a mistake i think there's a there's a very deliberate reason for altering the title. So um uh so then let, let's talk a little bit about American Hero Story and the uh the episode and and one of the things that I really liked about American Hero Story is that it creates in the TV medium of the Watchmen series uh 
a parallel to the uh, uh, to to the Tales of the Black Freighter comic book in the comic book medium of the original story. So the this is a, an important callback in how I think how how we're going to be structuring the series moving forward is that American Hero story will be the story within the story in this series in the same way that the Black Freighter was the story within the story yeah. in the comic book. And in the comic book, we were using a comic book to tell us uh, the story within the story. In the TV show, we're using a TV show to tell us the story within the story. <laughs> That's a great point, dude. Yeah. And they so, have the newsstand like mm-hmm. in the comp in this episode. In this episode, they yeah, give us the newsstand. That's new a stand, great point. Uh, to kind of kind of help remind us a little bit of that, right? Yeah. And notice that uh, some of the some of the interesting things that I noticed about about the setup of American Hero Story. One of them is that there's a bunch of trigger warnings at the beginning. It's kind of almost like a like a satire of our current state of affairs with everything being, uh, you know, recognizing how overly sensitive people might be about the content that they're about to see and warning people about what say they shouldn't watch. And yet we see everybody watching it without any problem, completely ignoring the trigger warning, right? So uh, kids and, and parents and uh, uh, heroes, villains, cops and terrorists all alike <laughs> sit around the TV to watch the show. And it has like five minutes of trigger warning at the beginning that everybody yeah. ignores. <laughs> just like in our world, right? Exactly. Where... Just like it is in our world. Yeah, and then one of the first things we see in the reenactment of American Hero Story is a young boy uh, handing out newspapers talking about the War of the Worlds hoax or the War of the Worlds incident that had happened when a reading of War of the Worlds, uh, a radio drama, uh, freaked a lot of people out uh, in 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 the country. Um, this was in the I think 1930s or so, thinking that this was actually taking place yeah. when in reality it was just the transmission of uh, of Orson Welles' drama of the War of the Worlds. Yep. And when um, the aliens landed in New Jersey. Yes, and you know, uh, here we have a a fake uh, alien invasion that people thought was real. Uh, and later on, you know, in the world of Watchmen, we have a real alien inversion that we know is fake, but the people apparently think is real uh, with the uh, the squid attack on uh, on Manhattan. It's great uh, stuff. So um, so then uh, also we have then the uh, the the story is being told from the perspective of Hooded Justice. And it starts off with the death of Rolf Mueller. And the narrator telling us that even though people suspected that Mueller was Hooded Justice, that that is not the truth. But again, who is writing this story? Because if a lot of the speculation that we're having, we've seen so far, is that Will is potentially Hooded Justice. I don't know that the TV show, the creators of the TV show necessarily know that. More than likely, it's just a version of the story, probably the version that has been sanitized and approved by the powers that be to be the, st- the version of the story that we want to put out there. But maybe the real story is the one that, you know, it's a lot harder to get to. And so in the same way that history kind of gets uh, written from the point of view of the powerful, we saw this in the first episode, how many people reacted to the scenes of the uh, of the Wall Street, uh, Black Wall Street massacre in disbelief, thinking this could have never happened when in reality it did. Mm-hmm. Maybe the story of the real hooded justice 
had been retold from the point of view of somebody who made him a white person, when in reality it could have been Will, who was the real hooded justice. Yeah, that's great stuff. Kind of layers upon layers of, I know, here we have the TV show telling us, well, that's not the real story. But then us watching the TV show could potentially be learning that the TV show story is not the real story either. Yeah, Uh, there's some stuff a whitewashing of the original tale in and of itself. And it makes sense, you know, in a world where, uh, you know, in the, at the time of the, uh, of the original uh, superhero masked man are coming to being the idea that, uh, that, that uh, the first superhero would have been born out of, uh, out of a racial incident and that it was a black man, probably would not have played well with the dominant culture, with the dominant power. So you, what do you do? You turn the hero into a white hero. Yeah. We, we see that nowadays uh, with things like, uh, um, uh, you know, look, look at religion. Look at the depiction of Jesus Christ in the majority of history as a white, blue-eyed, blonde individual. Uh, when in reality, he probably looked like a Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern man, right? Yeah. You 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 change the imagery to uh, satisfy and to uh, present the perspective of the of the of those who are in power, and so in a world where superheroes exist, more than likely you will try to skew that story to favor the powerful and not tell the real story, which may have been that the first superhero was born as a black man out of the reaction to a terrible racial incident. Yeah, man. I think that that is very likely. And I do want to mention that in that PDpedia, there, they, one of the pieces is on the mass vigilantes and it talks, it gives a little bit of history that this is actually season two right. of American hero story. And the first season focused on the life and times of Walter James Kovacs, AKA Rorschach. Rorschach. That's right. Um, and this one dramatizes the origins of the masked vigilante phenomenon through the figure of Hooded Justice, a never-identified mystery man who was active between 1938 and 1955. I'm reading right from it. And as you read this, which is is like an internal memorandum um, from the anti-vigilante task force group, they are worried about the same things that you're talking about how is this going to affect the public? Right. Are they going to say um, that it? And they're worried in this. Uh, who are they going to say is hooded justice? Exactly. So they're kind of little, maybe setting the tone for something like that in some mm-hmm. in this material as well, where they're having even like the government question, and it it make like when we talk about that, right? The power, the institutions, who writes the history who is that right it's still right. people but then you have different different power structures against each other mm-hmm. and it goes up into different levels and this is kind of bringing that into it in the same way that the government doesn't know where the squid stuff is coming from yeah you know in the so that's interesting to me that they're not choosing um, to show us some secret classified files that they know what the truth is. No, they're just as clueless as everyone else and worried about the same things that you're talking about. What is going to happen to the general public if this piece of media propaganda 
tells them a truth that they don't want to hear. And and that makes us wonder, makes me wonder about how was the story of Rorschach presented in season one? Yeah, I want to see that. And was it presented <laughs> in such a way that his writings were seen as, I mean, it, it's very possible that depending on who was creating and, and, and supporting this show, they may have tried to pass on his writings as the writings of a madman. And yet that, that in and of itself could have fueled all the paranoia that we're seeing among the seventh cavalry. Yeah. So it's almost like an, like an unexpected effect. Well, they uh, go in into that to, in trying to discredit yeah. Rorschach's writings with the, the episode of, of, uh, American hero story, they may have actually fueled that which they thought uh, were, they were trying to avoid. Yeah, they go into it a little. They just do mention there's a little more and people read. I'm not going to read it verbatim, but they mm-hmm. do say that an example of what happened because of that um, or because of Rorschach's writing is that in 7,000 homes during the police raids that followed the white night in 2016, they found editions of the book of Rorschach. Ah. So this material is, you know, questionable, but it's still in, they, they live in a world much like our world now where these conspiracies and everything are openly discussed and talked Mm -hmm. about just like we see at the newsstand. Which yeah. I think is also an interesting aspect of the show. We see generally, and and when we see Angela talk with Will, what can uh, what can Doctor Manhattan do? He can't do this. He can do that. And we see another scene too, where people are like kind of joking about it. Mm-hmm. That the everyone is confused. Yeah, <laughs> like there is. Everyone has their version of what happened. And then they carry that with them and it's not challenged until another person speaks their truth. Yeah. And, and, and people being confused and trapped in uh, uh, arguing back and forth about this minutia is probably the way that the powers that be want to keep the people suppressed in a way, right? Yeah. Stay busy thinking about all this stuff, which is kind of what uh, what the guy at the newsstand says. You know, it's like all all this squid stuff. This is all a red herring, so that we don't pay attention to what's really happening. Yeah, to the big magnets coming from the sky. The big magnets from the sky, and uh, whoever's coming, whoever's helping, will from above. Yeah, and I love uh, it. I do. I love the way this whole thing is shot. The colors yeah. that are used. Um, the old shop that he jumps, the way he jumps through the window. It's yeah, and really all of that great. is all of that is filmed in a very uh, Zack Snyder style. I don't know if you noticed that, but the way that it would accelerate and then stop in slow motion, and the brutal way in which he beat up the guys, <laughs> yeah. it was totally done in a Zack Snyder style, which is really interesting. In a way, they may be saying you may have watched the. Snyder movie, but that's just a perspective of the Watchmen story. It is not the true Watchmen story, right? Yeah, and maybe kind of a great. commentary on Zack Snyder's film itself. Yeah, very the visual aspects of it. Yeah, man, I love that. I love what you said too about it being a TV show, and in the comic, it's a comic. Yeah, when that first started playing, it took me a second to like, oh wait, okay, 
wow, we're watching this. And I was yeah, so excited. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes. Yeah, it, it almost felt like a flashback. But no, no, yeah. this is the actual episode yeah. that everybody's watching. Now we're watching the show within the show. So yeah. And the I way they teased really us with it in the first episode, right? Mm-hmm. We saw the commercial. Yeah. We saw it on the bus. Now yep. we get to see it. We're getting to see yeah, we it got, too. We got the commercial in the first episode. Now we get we got to see the first scene in this episode. And I'm guessing it'll progress as the episode I hope moves so. forward. I really yeah. hope so. So then the Lord, the the uh, person whom we are pretty sure is Ozymandias, but we still don't have 100% confirmation on that. He is rehearsing his play, the play about the, the Watchman's son with Mr. Phillips and Miss Crookshanks, uh, which is basically a retelling of Dr. Manhattan's origin story. Now, another I- issue here that I think is a callback to the book in the way that the American hero story is the story within the story version of this uh, iteration of Watchmen. In the original book, too, we would have occasional trips to the island where the squid was being put together by Ozymandias' scientist team. And I think this is kind of what these scenes are the parallel of. This, hmm. uh, this is the parallel of that is the, the, the rich estate is kind of like similar to how the island was in the original novel. So if you read the original Watchmen, you'll have these almost kind of out of left field moments where the story pauses and you go to this yeah. island and learn about this writer that's concocting this story to help kind of promote the, the, uh, the, what's going to be behind this, this squid monster and the, the scientists are working on this thing. So in the same way, we're kind of seeing the machinations of this Lord in this place removed from the rest of the story, and in this case, having something to do with Dr. Manhattan. Um, and he in particular is moved by the, by the words, nothing ever ends, uh, that Dr. Manhattan told him directly in the end of the original story. And he repeats them here rather uh, almost in ma- mantra-like, the way that he hears them when they are told in the tale uh, in the play. Um, and I'm starting to spe- to wonder here, you know, the the characters of Osterman and John Osterman and Jenny Slater are played by Phillips and by Crookshanks, the two uh, genetically engineered or, or robotic uh, creatures that we have uh, have seen here with the um, uh, the this uh, Lord India uh, in, in the Welsh estate. And I'm, I'm starting to wonder, we've talked about Ozymandias having some type of interest in genetic manipulation. We, we know that he had created Bubastis in the past, the, the lynx that was his pet. We see him growing tomatoes on trees, which that doesn't happen. So we know there's some kind of genetic manipulation going on there. Could it be that he's attempting to clone John Osterman? Clone John Osterman as a way to get to recreate Dr. Manhattan? And if that's the case, could the actor that's playing Phillips be the actor who's going to play Dr. Manhattan later on? That is something that I've been wondering if what what we see here are prototype versions of both Jenny Slater and John Osterman that he's been attempting to clone for some time now. I think that's a great – I think that's a super interesting idea. And And, and as you were talking, I'm thinking – and you're making the uh, comparison to the island – Mm-hmm. And even though that was happening, I in guess parallel. in parallel, I feel I just feel like we're out of 
step of time with we what's are happening at a step of time. Definitely here with because- Oz, you know, at the, with the Lord. So well, is this a flashback, a flash forward? Is this how he can, is this how the plan we see now playing out in Tulsa yes. began? Or is I, this I, as a result of it, he's here? I think we're seeing at least a number of years in the past. We see we see the anniversary okay. that was celebrated last episode. This this second episode, the the cake had two candles. So now it's been two. I think we're seeing now the second anniversary where we, we've moved oh, a whole year forward. Nice. See, I was wondering. Episode. See that when the, I'm glad you mentioned that when they and had the cake again. About, and and then if you think about the time when Ozymandias apparently disappeared. To the time that he's declared dead, I want to say it's probably around 10 years. And that would kind of make sense. If every episode we're moving a year forward, maybe in the next episode we see that it's three or four years forward. Ah. And the next one, so then it might, by the end of Ozymandias's, by the end of the season, Ozymandias' timeline may line up with where the events in the rest of the yeah, show are happening. Yeah. See, this is what I was thinking. I was, I had that concept, okay, that narrative concept that they mm-hmm. meet, but I was trying to figure out how do they meet? That makes perfect sense. And the cake thing, the, the way he just rushed indicator. through it this time, like the first time it was a de- it was a big deal. Maybe and they he were was kind of happy and celebratory. Yeah, it was new. The second time he's yeah. a little bit more bored. Just going I wouldn't through be surprised it. Surprise of next episode, the cake has three or four candles and he's like, Oh my God, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I told you about this honeycomb. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. a great so he, Roberta. And, or maybe that's it's fantastic. improved. Maybe then the cake tastes better. And he's like, Okay, I've done something right this time around with my John Osterm and Jenny Slater clones here. So who knows? However, this is evolving and his, any improvements he's making on his plan, I think is going to be measured by these anniversaries that we're going to be see celebrating moving forward. So I have one, the, the other way I was thinking about it. And I think, and I had discussed this a little bit on the Facebook page with somebody that, um, he was, and some people had been theorizing this too, and I felt a little bit like maybe he's trapped there. And whatever he's doing now is retelling us the story that got him trapped. So that's just, even though now I more so believe what you just said, and I love it, <laughs> the idea I was thinking, and I wanted to see what you thought, is that he's trapped there. He's, yeah. This is a number of years are going, uh, now I, I totally buy that, that has to be what that cake meant you're totally right about that so we're seeing a progression there so maybe maybe he at the end of this he how how would it meet if it went that way it's not as clean as the way that you described it so i'm going with what you said i love that yeah i think there's still the possibility that he might be in some kind of pocket universe or something i mean who knows what it's what, too ethereal it's that's that, too there, there is that possibility too and it, the the when we were introduced to that scene in this episode it was right after looking through the painting uh in mm. the in the in Judd's office or may or in Judd's room so maybe who's the one who hides they're trying to tell us something about that that this is somehow some kind of parallel world but this the thing with the cake i think is a clear indicator that we're w- moving through an accelerated timeline that starts farther in the past and is going to be catching up to the events of the of the series as we move forward in the in the yeah. in the next episode. So in the end, it's Desmond. 
<laughs> right? He's doing the same thing again. We gotta go back. <laughs> and, and, in epi- and what's going to happen in episode? Uh, what, what's going to happen in episode uh, eight or nine? We're just going to have a couple characters walking along a field, and they kick something and fall on the ground. Oh, it's a hatch. Yeah. <laughs> and they open it <laughs> and they fall into the castle. Like that's gravity right. turns around. Um, that's, I love that though. That is super, that, the touch. See, the cake thing, I thought about it, but then I, my mind for some reason didn't grasp it because uh, what I figured is that they, it was, they were just kind of like imperfect clones. So they were just programmed to do the same thing again kind of each time loop. he made them right. They're stuck in a loop. But what you're saying, I think makes sense. I love that. Yeah, and the tomatoes don't grow on trees because I actually Googled it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they grow on vines. I, I, I've grown some of those in my backyard, so I know that they grow on vines. Yeah, there's a special um, tomato that's sm- really a lot smaller and sh- and more oblong that where the vines look like a tree, but okay. not a tree. Yeah. That was a tree. Yeah. No, they're definitely dropping hints there of something something not yeah. be, not being quite uh, right about uh, the place where the Lord lives. So, All right. And then just to finish off with some ticks and tucks. So a couple of things that I noticed, again, callbacks to the original book. Looking glass table manners. Uh, if you notice the way that looking glass eats, it could not be more reminiscent of Rorschach yeah. in the book. Lifting his mask up and eating uh, while keeping half of the mask still down on his face. Uh, he's very much a character that I think is supposed to be a parallel to Rorschach. And even the way that he... Uh, relates especially to Angela in that kind of always distrustful kind of way. Uh, it seems very similar to how uh, Rorschach interacted with the other characters in the original book. This as well. is this character is is uh, becoming an antagonist to Angela, yeah. and it, with the meeting in the car and the way that they did this very purposeful nod to Rorschach. Is he, are they not, are they saying, is he, because we have this mystery, who is the cop that gave the information back then? Is that mm-hmm. what's happening now? So we have, along with all this crazy other stuff, there is a central plot mystery that begs us to pay attention to. And I think Looking Glass in this in particular made me think that was, that's exactly like Rorschach, like you do that on purpose. Yeah. The way he lived, his house, he did yeah. not seem like a happy man. No, he seems to be cut from the same cloth yeah. as Rorschach. He's just he's just the uh, government-sanctioned, police-backed version of Rorschach, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the uh, the vigilante, uh, you know, breaking all the laws and going out and operating while the while it's been outlawed. Um, but he's very much – if Rorschach had been sanctioned by the police, he'd be looking less. Um, I found it interesting that in a world without drones, we have men who are using Mothman technology to fly around and try to catch on all the uh, uh, the juicy gossip that's out yeah, there. That was, uh, yeah, that was great. <laughs> you know, I figured if there's no cell phones uh, – we, we did see pagers in this episode, but there's no cell phones and perhaps no internet. But in a world where at some point uh, a man named the Mothman used uh, wings to fly around, maybe that technology could have eventually been adapted so that reporters could try to uh, get, uh, get uh, you know, their, their, their new stories uh, covered 
uh, in, in as efficient a way as possible. Man, they uh, made this than, world so full, didn't they? Those little touch. You're you're mentioning these things, and it's just mm-hmm. po- there's so many little touches, and that was fantastic. Yeah. And also, they had little time for them. They took them down and beat the crap out of them. I know they had they had no respect. In, in that way, it's very similar to how kind of our, our current world, yeah. in, in which the media TMZ. is being you know questioned and at many times not really tolerated by our uh, authorities. So. Kind of an interesting, uh, interesting perspective there. Uh, and then uh, we do meet. Uh, at one point, we see uh, the young boy, uh, Angela's son, uh, uh, creating, uh, 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 playing with Manhattan building blocks, uh, Doctor Manhattan blocks, which are these kind of space age Legos. It's kind of like a space age Lego set where the blocks hover above the ground. And my guess is that again, uh, some of the in in the aftermath of some of uh, Dr. Manhattan's technology being left behind before his departure, um, it has made it into you know toys in, in much the same way that military t- technology de- developed by the military eventually makes it into the world of civilians. Uh, we here have now a product that is a building toy that is. Uh, that is uh, uh, inspired and created based on Manhattan technology. Yeah. And the structure that he was building, that Topher was building in his room, was very similar to the structures we saw Dr. Manhattan, Manhattan building on Mars in the, in the previous episode. Yeah, Ozzy's Castle. A, it was kind of a, it wasn't the glass palace of the original book. It looked more like a kind of almost like a series of buildings but it seemed very similar to the shape that Topher was building in his room. So, yeah. and a lot of people have thought that that is Ozymandias' castle. Oh, that's right. That is, that it's similar to the castle where, and and that might might also have something to do with this parallel See, universe. This if, is, if Oz, yeah, that's if, what I wanted to bring up here, and I don't want yeah. to go too far into this idea, but mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of evidence to me of. Um, dream or dreamlike imagery where there's a repetition of images, faces, people. And that's why I said like, did that look like Will's father in the museum? And then we have the same castle appearing and there's certain other things that are happening, which coincidental, right? Whether it's the weird, the painting and uh, there was something attached to the painting, but everything is just, the way things are working together and lining up. Oh, it was the way Will was talking in code. I'm sorry, not the painting that I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah. It just leads me to, but there's just something unreal about mm-hmm. this. And maybe it's because the world is new, but the idea that Dr. Manhattan, like you pointed out, his last lines were, I'm going to go explore or create new universes, new things. Mm-hmm. Is this real? What we're, yeah. I continue to think that now, maybe it's just me being theory crazy, but right. is this, are we going to get to a point where we find out this is not, they were going to be in a totally different world. Yeah. I just can't shake that. Could it all be a construct of Manhattan? We know he's capable of yeah. it. But yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. All right. That was awesome. Anyway, that's all I had to share. I think I've gone over all my other points here that I had for ticks and talks earlier in the discussion. So we'll, we'll leave those behind and we can go ahead and jump into feedback.
Let's do it, baby. That was fantastic, Roberto. Man, you brought Thanks. some new things to this. I could watch this thing four times. I wouldn't have picked I, up. On. I know the cake. Got the cake. You, you made so everything. Much, so many details that oh. we that and you know, reading all the the articles you shared and reading online. There's so much more out there. I mean, these are the things that I picked up on. But man, there was there was all this stuff and then some. So there's there's plenty of stuff to immerse yourself in Watchmen lore if you are wanting to uh, to seek it out. Man, they really did these puzzle shows, and when they do this, and this is even, you know, um, Westworld. They should they shouldn't both start with W. It's confusing the hell out of me. I know, but Westworld is like a puzzle show. This is like a it's a it's a drama, but it's also a puzzle just to figure out what the hell's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also has the real world aspects. And our first person who wrote in, our grandpa James, he writes, in your discussion, you mentioned the tribulations of black soldiers. My father was part of the 92nd Infantry Division in World War II, a segregated infantry of the U.S. Army that served in both world wars. The division was organized in 1970. 1917 at Camp Funston, Kansas, with African-American soldiers from all states. In 1918, before leaving for France, the American Buffalo was selected as a division insignia due to the Buffalo Soldier nickname given to the American Cavalry by Native Americans in the 19th century. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And he included a picture, too. Oh, That's wow. awesome, James. Thanks for including that, man. See, this is like... I like the I like the fact that they're including that stuff and you see it around that people are learning about things. Yeah. And the, uh, and the and the way that it's an alternate history is kind of freeing people to just look at what really happened. Yeah, but these you aspects know? that they're touching upon are part of our real history. Yeah, those are like, those are points where makes it more real. we are actually looking at what happened in our past. They might have from there, they might have diverged differently in the world of the Watchmen. But they're showing us part, things that are part of our history that have been in many occluded from us that we many of us uh, have not mm, been aware yeah. of this stuff. Yeah, that's uh, great. And e- even even the the creator himself, Lindelof, admits that he didn't know much about this until he read the writings of Tanahisi Coates, and that's what inspired him to explore them in this story. So, um, I think it's uh, it's important uh, that we have these opportunities to learn about this stuff and. Part of the the cool stuff about delving into the theories and and delving into doing all this research online is that I'm also getting exposed to a ton of history that I sadly was not aware of. It's awesome, yeah. And thanks, James. Uh, we really appreciate you reaching out, brother, and yes, sharing and thank that you with for us. sharing that story about your grandfather. That's very very important. Oh no, that was that, his dad. That those stories be remembered. Yeah, that was um, his dad. John Wambacher writes, he says, on the discussion of Will's identity, I agree with the general opinion that he is the original hooded justice. Did you notice the details of his costume in the docudrama? It is a noose around his neck and more heavy rope around his waist. If he were traumatized as a child by the massacre, I could see these elements being incorporated into his costume. Interestingly enough, too, his costume was kind of purplish and red, and Will's outfit is purple and red if you look at what he's wearing in the present day. Uh, I don't have uh, an issue with the discrepancy on his race and nationality. The note he carried with him has German propaganda on one side. Couldn't he have used a German accent or words when busting into a crime as a result of growing up with that note as one of his ties to his murdered family? His race can be explained as a whitewashing of history, or he could have used makeup around his eyes. It could have been a cover-up because the public would not accept a black vigilante 
much like FDR not being shown in a wheelchair. Again, another way in which history was yeah. kind of manipulated, right? That we don't, we, we can't have our president seem frail. So make sure that we people never see that he's on a wheelchair uh, is another way in which powerful institutions uh, twist and, and curb and, and, and bend history in such a way that what we end up accepting as what really happened may not be what truly happened. Yeah. And, th and therefore we might end up with, uh, Comanche feats uh, instead of martial feats, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there yeah. might be just enough to kind of twist the truth and make us think of what what's really the truth when there's something le something different underlying that. Yeah, and it says something too when when you say that um, a person in a wheelchair can't be president. Yes, and you set expectations you set in the same way of saying. Right? Yeah, yep. and I noticed that too with Hooded Justice. Mm -hmm. And when he makes reference to him um, using uh, – having like a German voice or using German accent, mm -hmm. could it be too that um, Will purposefully hid himself in that way? That he used right. that as well. He wanted people to think yeah. we're coming from the perspective that it was hidden and blah. But could it be also in the sense that we're seeing where Judd made this decision to, mm -hmm. to where uh, the police should wear masks, yeah. right? They've hid themselves. Did did Will make a decision that he regretted? Why did I hide that? Because I thought people couldn't handle it. Right. But you thought people couldn't handle it because they hadn't seen it. Maybe if you had done it, they would have handled it. Yeah. Yeah. And could it be part of his potential powers as well? He, he, he hinted at Dr. Manhattan being able to change his appearance. Oh. Could that be something that Will could potentially oh, do? You know, man. We, we know he can tolerate heat. So maybe, he can, <laughs> maybe he can change his appearance as well. Or did Ozymandias create a clone-type creature that he then put back in time that is Will, and now he's freed from his master and contacting his granddaughter? Hmm. We'll think about that one. Uh, I, yeah, that one. I think I think we should end with that one. Oh, that's fun though. This show is fun. Yeah, I'm not going that crazy yet, people. All right, I was kidding. That was a joke. I promise. Well, we maybe still not. Seven episodes to go, Axel. You gotta you gotta give it some time. <laughs> yes. Well, this has been fantastic, Roberto. Thanks so much, man. Your notes are great. It's it's. I'm really having such a blast doing this. Only our second episode. We're having fun. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to add? No, just at this point, I'm I'm just enjoying uh, doing all the speculation. I appreciate the chance to do this with you, and I look forward to the seven episodes to come. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. All right, everybody. So remember, on Sunday, I'm going to be doing that initial reaction with Roger from Shad on TV. That's going to be a lot of fun. Be back again with Wednesday. Roberto and I'll be back next Friday for episode three. And maybe next episode, I'm willing to go there. Uh, we can do a little trailer talk at the end of the episode. Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>